0: The Medical School Headquarters Podcast, session number 157. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you haven't checked out Premed Life magazine yet, go do so, premedlife.com. They have tons of issues and articles for you to read to help you on your journey and to entertain you as well on your journey to medical school. Well, today I'm talking to Amanda. Amanda is a first year medical student at Rocky Vista University here in Colorado, where I'm located. And Amanda has an interesting story. You'll find out how she went from wanting to do something else in the medical field to learning about uh, osteopathic physicians and much more. And uh, it's interesting coming from a small school and the exposure that she got in school to the medical field and her awareness of osteopaths. So take a listen and uh, let me know what you think. Amanda, welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. How are you, Ryan?
0: I'm doing well. Now, describe great, because right before we hit record, you were talking yeah. about how crazy your life is. Now, you're a medical student now, so why don't we start off in that phase of your life and, and tell the listener where what you're doing now.
1: Sure. So, I moved to Colorado from Minnesota about five months ago. I uh, attend Rocky Vista University. Uh, It's a DO school about 30 minutes south of Denver. Um, And it's kind of been a whirlwind since I started. Um, I didn't really, to be honest, I guess I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I kind of assumed it was more like grad school, but uh, we honestly have a test pretty much every week. um, And we're just go, go, go all the time, almost 8 to 5 every day. So, I mean, it's a little overwhelming, but I'm, you know, five months in, so I'm kind of starting to get used to it. But it's great. I mean, this is what I want to do, and I'm so excited to be... Uh, caring for patients and everything so I'm really happy to be here so yeah
0: what has your patient interaction been like so far
1: Um, to be quite honest I haven't really done a lot of um, stuff outside of school just because I'm trying to get my bearings straight and make sure that I'm doing well academically Uh, but we so far we have done two different uh, standardized patient encounters so they're like kind of I guess I would say that they're like patient actors and they come in and we have learned all of our skills to do like a history and an exam, depending on what exam we're doing that day and get feedback. So I've done two of those. Uh, we did one that was kind of like a general, like trying to establish a rapport kind of situation. And then we did a dermatology one. So that's all I've really done so far. All
0: right. That's good. The standardized patients, I think, were, were the hardest ones for me because mm-hmm. I knew going into it, it was fake. And so I think I, I always would forget something and, and had to, to go back and ask more questions or do something else, but... Let's, yeah, let's, exactly. let's rewind and go back to your beginning. Uh, when, when did you mm-hmm. realize you wanted to be a physician?
1: Actually, it's kind of an interesting story. So uh, when I graduated from my undergrad in 2012, I actually didn't even know what a DO was. Uh, I think that my, I went to a pretty small school, and I'm pretty sure that if I did know what it was, I thought it was kind of more like a chiropractor or something, like it wasn't actually a doctor. Um, and so my school didn't really advertise it. They, it was, they were kind of just like straight MD, straight MD. Um, and I actually found it because I started working as a scribe. I was originally thinking about going to PA school. Uh, and I was working in the ER. I worked there for three years and I worked with a bunch of PAs and a bunch of MDs, but also a bunch of DOs. And so that was really cool. Uh, and from that, like I kind of realized, I mean, everybody's journey is different, but I kind of realized, especially in our practice that the PAs technically have a lesser academic degree. And so they weren't allowed to see, uh, the critical patients that came in the door. And so that kind of like changed my mindset a little bit. And I was like, well, maybe that's kind of what, a, you know, in emergency medicine, that's like what the doctors kind of really, you know, strive for. And that's what they really love to do. So I kind of looked at it again and I realized that I probably should just go back and take some extra classes and go back to med school. So I took uh, two, so three years off in between. And I took uh, organic chemistry and physics uh, in the summer uh, to try to get all my prereqs done and everything. Um, and then I ended up applying. Uh, taking the MCAT, I think it was April of 2014. I took the MCAT, and then let's, I applied. That let's
0: I, let's pause a little bit here, sure, and and really go back because you didn't really <laughs> answer my question of when you realized you wanted to be a physician. So did were in undergrad? Were you pre med? I mean, you mentioned wanting to do PA stuff, but where did that come from too?
1: Oh, okay. So actually when I started uh, undergrad, so that was in 2008, I was pre-med for about a year and a half. I took organic chemistry and I was effectively weeded out of being a pre-med. <laughs>
0: That's the pivot point for most people.
1: Right, yeah. What, what was and it also, about organic chemistry? Um, to be honest, I actually blame most of it on my professor. Uh, she was tenured and she didn't actually lecture. We just went to class every day and did group work. And she actually organized the groups by test grade. Um, so if you were not doing well, you were also in a group with everybody else that wasn't doing well. And so <laughs> I think it was really weird. And I think that that kind of like turned me off from it a little bit. And then going on, I was like, well, I don't think I learned enough to... Uh, I ended up getting like a B minus, which isn't horrible. But I ended up thinking, oh, I don't think I know enough to go into organic chemistry too, uh, which was actually twice as hard at my school. So I kind of looked into PA school and I realized that a lot of PA schools don't require the second semester of organic chemistry. So that's kind of when I made my switch.
0: Mm, okay. When, so, going back a little bit more, mm-hmm. why why were you pre-med to begin with? What was your initial interest in, in medicine?
1: Uh, I think, actually, my initial interest was more like in the EMS kind of field. Um, one of my friends in high school, um, when he was biking, was hit by a car, and effectively, his tibia was in an open fracture and sticking straight out of his leg. Uh, and then just like him kind of describing to me all the care that he got from like the paramedics, and I was kind of like, oh, that's really cool. I mean, you don't have to get a undergrad degree to become a paramedic, but that's kind of what I looked into a little bit. And then I actually did shadow when I was in high school. I shadowed uh, my family physician, and I was like, well, this actually kind of seems like it would be for me. I really liked emergency medicine, though, and I still do, so... I kind of was looking towards that angle, and so that's why I decided to become pre-med.
0: Okay, very interesting. So, uh, obviously, there the, the draw wasn't big enough for you to figure out how to make it work after organic chemistry, where you 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 basically threw your hands up. And, and you only got a B-minus. That's not a bad grade. Um, yeah, that's right but you you made this decision that this was your like pivot point and you said you know what PA school doesn't require organic 2 I'll just go be a PA what what was that decision process like
1: uh that was rough i essentially uh equate that to my quarter life crisis um because i i've never really i wouldn't say that i'd ever really failed at anything before that point and i kind of realized i also like i guess i didn't mention but I was in physics at the same time, and uh, my professor's exams were only 20 points. Uh, I think I got a 12 on the first one, so that was a D. And so I actually dropped out of that class, so I was only taking 12 credits at the time. Uh, and I was like, well, I'd have to retake physics as well, and I kind of was on the four-year graduating plan, so I decided it kind of was just be an easier route at the time to go to PA.
0: Okay. So it was... It was the, the more instant gratification is going to the PA route.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to be quite honest, uh, my best friend is a PA. Um, and I really don't think it's an easier route at all. Um, I just think that I kind of was my, my uh, backup plan. Like, I didn't even know about it when I was kind of going through the situation. Uh, but she kind of told me about it, and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. So I almost kind of followed her also. So there's kind of multiple variables about why I decided to change. But
0: Okay. So... You're obviously not in PA school, so what happened on that front to to make you change your mind away from being a PA? Uh,
1: One of my really good friends is a PA in the practice I used to work for in the ER, and I actually talked to her a lot about it when I was kind of thinking about switching over because I realized I'd have to take another year off of school, I'd have to go back uh, and apply to another college and take all these prereqs again, and I was like, I don't know if I really want to do this, especially because organic chemistry and physics were not exactly my favorite classes. Um, but I talked to her and she was like, you know, to be quite honest, like people, PA schools want people that want to become PAs. they don't want it as a stepping stone. Like if you actually want to be a PA, then you should apply to PA school, but people shouldn't see it as a backtrack. And I kind of, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to realize, okay, like I actually was kind of like using it as a backup plan. And then I kind of thought to myself a little bit, and I really didn't want that one professor I had in organic chemistry to define what I was going to do with my life. So I kind of sat back a little bit. I talked to my parents, uh, who actually were not that excited when I told them I was going to go back to school. Uh, <laughs> but now you know I'm here. So
0: who who else did you rely on for support during that time? You, you talked about talking to your parents, obviously your friend who's a PA. What mm-hmm. wh- how were you seeking out people to to talk to?
1: Uh, honestly, I think I probably could have done a better job at that. Um, This is actually right around when there was that swine flu epidemic, too, and so I actually (laughs) thought I was getting sick with it. So I went home, and then I kind of actually, like, broke down and told my parents that I was thinking about not being pre-med anymore. We had a long chat about it, and eventually we uh, get assigned an academic advisor, so I actually reached out to him and talked to him a little bit about it. Um, I mean, he's in academia, so he doesn't exactly know what I was kind of going through trying to change my mind, but he kind of helped me find the PA path and, like, show me that I could graduate in four years and that I was also really worried because I thought that the physics class that I dropped was going to show up on my transcript. Um, and we worked to get it off my transcript. So that was really nice too. So he was actually a pretty good academic help role, but I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of more of like, I guess I would say I'm kind of more of a private person. So I didn't want to like, you know, expound this into a bigger deal than it was, but looking back, it was a pretty big deal and i probably could have handled it better.
0: (laughs) You didn't go on to Student Doctor Network and, and tell your life story on there and ask for advice? No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So you obviously made the point to go back and be pre-med. Talk about that decision to, to take that leap again and go back and, and how you figured out what classes you would need to take or retake and, and how to prepare yourself Uh, for the MCAT that obviously you had to take?
1: Right. So when I took the MCAT, I had taken a couple of those classes like six years before I would taken MCAT. So that was definitely a refresher for that. But uh, kind of, so when I was working as a scribe, a lot of my coworkers were also trying to get into professional school, whether I think most people were going towards uh, becoming a physician, but I did have a few friends that were thinking about PA school. Uh, So we actually did talk a lot about that. And I don't know if anybody's interested in being a scribe, but I thought it was a really good uh, jumping point into realizing, okay, this is what a doctor does every day. Uh, so that's, sorry, sidetrack. But um, kind of just like talking to my friends at work, uh, talking to some of the physicians I worked with, uh, and they kind of pushed me into it as well. They kind of like told me that, a couple of my physicians actually did something very similar to me, um, where one well, one of my favorite physicians that I worked with, he played professional hockey for 10 years after undergrad and had no idea that he wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and once he kind of like, had a few injuries and he dealt with PT and a couple orthodox and stuff. He realized that, you know, after his hockey career, maybe that's something he could do. Uh, So he like went back and took basically a whole another undergrad. Uh, And I was like, well, if he can take four more years of school, I can probably do, you know, a year and a half (laughs) Uh, and take. So I went to, I enrolled in like our uh, state university. I went to a really small school. I think my biggest class was 40 and the classes I took at the undergrad were probably like 160 each. Uh, So that was a little overwhelming. But, I mean, overall, it ended up working out pretty well, and I worked full-time and took one class at a time and made it work. So,
0: Okay. One class at a time. So uh, I'm going to skip forward to applications real quick because you just mentioned that. Um, There's this common perception among meds and pre-med advisors that only taking sure. one class at a time doesn't prove to the admissions committees that you can handle the course load of medical school. Did that come up at all in any of your applications, any discussions during interviews?
1: Um, in all of my interviews, I was asked why I went back and took these prereqs. Um, and so I actually did tell them about my PA story and everything because so I wanted to be as open as possible. Uh, actually, the guy that interviewed me at Rocky Vista who is our principals of clinical medicine professor. He was actually a PA for about 15 years and went back and got his DO. So we had that in common. So that was probably worked in my favor a little bit, but everybody always asked me like, okay, well, why did you only take the one class at a time? And I mean, you just have to have a really good explanation. Um, For me, it was that I was working full time. Uh, I actually played more than full time. I think I was working about 50 hours a week in the ER. Uh, And so I actually didn't have time to really put into another class and I wanted to make sure I did well. Uh, could prove I could handle the coursework and work full-time. And I think they were pretty excited about that.
0: Okay. So you, you, you had other uh, commitments. So it wasn't like you were just kind of playing video games all day long, taking one class at a time. You were working full plus time. Uh, so, so your time was still taken up. So that's good. Because uh, I, I yep. think a lot of students worry about that, that they work full-time and, and they really can't afford to not work full-time. Uh, mm-hmm. but they, they think taking one class is kind of a waste. Um, so you're you're at least one person, an N of one, that shows that it can be done. <laughs> not,
1: also, uh, not
0: very uh, statistically significant, but still.
1: That's uh, true. Yeah. Also, uh, the spring that I was taking the MCAT, I hadn't even finished all the prereqs yet. I was taking physics too. Uh, and some people, I think there's also that mindset in the pre-med world that you have to have all your classes done before you study and take the MCAT. Uh, I think that was totally false. Uh, I, was, cause I was still taking physics too. I also was working still 40 plus hours a week, and I was taking a Kaplan class that was, I think, two nights a week, like for three hours. Um, and I mean, it all still paid off. It worked really well. I thought I studied pretty hard for the MCAT, and I'm pretty satisfied with my results. So it's possible.
0: What'd you get on the MCAT? A 31. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. So talk about that. Talk about that prep. You, you're working full-time. Why did you decide to take Kaplan?
1: Um, I kind of wanted... So my whole plan, like, I really didn't want to take off more than three years. I really wanted to get back into the school mindset. Um, and so every, how everything worked out is just when I was taking the classes and everything, like, I had to be taking physics, too, at the same time as trying to take the MCAT in April so that I could get my score back and apply and be one of the first people in the door uh, for applications. Um, so the way that it all worked out, um, I took Kaplan because I realized like, I don't want, want to self-study and then be like disappointed with my score and then go back and take Kaplan. I decided to just work a little bit extra hard to get the money for Kaplan and then just take it and say, well, I didn't want to have any regrets, you know, about saying, well, if only I'd taken Kaplan, maybe my score would have improved. So that's kind of why I did it right away.
0: Would you recommend the majority of people out there take a test prep course, whether it's Kaplan or Princeton Review or M-Prep, one of these other courses?
1: Uh, I think so. I think it depends on how you study. I mean, I feel like the test prep courses almost feel like a college class, and I think a lot of us are used to that at this point, uh, that we're taking the MCAT, that we're used to college classes. But, I mean, if you're a really intense self-studier and you can follow a regimen and stick to a study schedule, because I have a problem with that, Um I like be having being held accountable, so I think that really helped me. Like, if I was in class and I hadn't done the homework, then I was kind of lost, and so I really wanted to make sure I did great on my score. So that's kind of why I took it, uh, just to be held accountable. And I think it was really helpful. Like the, the Kaplan class that I took was all online, uh, it still had like lecture format with videos, and you could type in your questions and people would respond and everything like that. So I thought it was pretty well done.
0: Okay, very good. What was your your biggest struggle with the MCAT?
1: Um, I think part of it, well, I kind of already mentioned a little bit of it, but not having all the material done yet. Uh, we were, like, doing our some of our physics lectures, and I hadn't even seen some of the material. So that was a little bit challenging. And also, I guess, just trying to, like, stick on my study schedule because I still kind of made a plan for myself outside of Kaplan's. Uh, I think I took 7 to 10 practice tests um, and, like, ha- uh, they recommend waking up, you know, like so. I think my cat, my test was on a Saturday, so they recommend kind of taking it on the same day at the same time. So having to force myself out of bed on a Saturday, uh, like seven in the morning, and go sit and take a three-hour, four-hour practice test was not necessarily my idea of fun. So I don't, that was probably the hardest part. I, I don't,
0: I don't think you want to mention that now that the the people taking the MCAT are just sitting for eight hours.
1: Oh yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But eight hours prepares you for the boards, which are eight hours as well. So it's, oh, definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not a fun change, but it, it's a change that will prepare you for for what's to come. So that's good.
1: Yeah, and I was I, w- I had a psych minor, so actually, uh, I, t- I participated in one of the uh, MCAT. Like they did those um, practice tests where they like were testing questions on some of the people, and so I took I actually sat and took that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I think that it's like important to have those skills uh, going into medical school, like either whether it's psych or biochemistry, which was our first class this year, uh, which I hadn't had in four years. So that was probably would be helpful for people coming in. So they just had to think about the end goal, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting. Let's talk about the application. I know at one point we had talked about um, your your decision process in apply what schools to apply to. Right. Talk talk about how you weeded out schools and and how schools made your list uh, with your applications.
1: Um, So first off, I should say that finances were not a factor. I am currently a second lieutenant in the Air Force, so I'm on scholarship. Um, So that wasn't a factor for me at all. I kind of looked at what uh, my—for MD schools, I applied to both. Uh, For MD schools, I kind of looked at what my stats were. I feel like they're more heavily weighted on numbers rather than, like, overall application uh so i kind of looked at what my stats were and i uh, applied to a few schools that i thought i was competitive at and then i applied to a few reach schools um but i kind of did a shotgun approach and so i applied to i think i applied to like 30 schools (laughs) overall md and do and i kind of just threw my application out there and tried to see what stuck Um, overall like yeah i did both coasts i did midwest because that's where i'm from minnesota Um, do schools i applied to almost all of them a couple I weeded out because of board scores. Um, I didn't apply to any Caribbean schools. Uh, but yeah, I kind of just threw it all out there because I really wanted to get in this year, so I put a lot of effort into it. Um, and that's kind of how I made my decision, I guess.
0: How did you figure out board scores for the schools?
1: <sighs> I'm trying to remember. I think I think I actually did use Student Doctor Network at that point. Uh, they made some sort of document on there. And so I was looking at the different board scores because some schools, if they don't have great board scores, they actually don't really, um, show them on their website. Like mm-hmm. the schools that are really proud of their board scores, like it's kind of one of the first things you see on your admissions. Um, and my school has a great board score. So that was kind of one of the things I applied here. And cause I'm in Colorado, okay. but I don't know. I think there was a document at some point I saw that had that all listed out and actually made it excel sheet that showed uh my gpa what the last year's students kind of average gpa was for all the schools i applied to
0: okay very interesting now you mentioned that you're a second lieutenant the what branch did you say air force okay the the smart choice good yep the best branch is that did you is that the hpsp scholarship it is yep okay awesome and what was your decision behind that
1: Um, So I actually interviewed at Rocky Vista, the school I'm going to in September. Uh, It was one of the first interviews. Uh, I think it's mostly because I got my application in right away, which I totally recommend doing if you can. Um, But I talked to the professor that I mentioned before that was a PA for like 15 years. And he asked me, uh, Rocky Vista is actually the second biggest producer of military physicians in the entire country, like not excluding the Uniformed Services University. Hmm. Um, And so it's kind of a big deal here. And he asked me about it and I said... Um well by the time I graduate med school I'm going to be 29 and I really don't want to put like extra time into the military and he's like oh well you should think about it um and I was like okay whatever but I didn't really think it was going to be for me I actually met with an army recruiter at the time and they were pretty impressed with my statistics and everything also HPSB has like a pre acceptance program I think it's called I'm not totally sure what the name is but if you have a certain GPA and statistics like on your MCAT, and they have like an automatic acceptance. And so at the time, I thought that I was going to be automatically accepted. So I kind of looked into it a little bit. One of the doctors I used to work with in the ER uh, was an Air Force doc for a while, and he kind of convinced me to go into that specific branch. Um, And I kind of started talking to a recruiter. Uh, It's kind of a long story, but then I kind of just decided that, you know, like another four years of my life, doing the exact specialty I want to, but just for the military is not a big deal. Uh, and I'm really excited that they're paying for my school and I get a great stipend. So I live by myself in a pretty nice apartment. And I don't have to worry about money. It's great.
0: The, uh, signing bonus probably didn't hurt either. So that's probably what you were talking about where really money wasn't a factor, right? Was the signing bonus, uh, a part of that?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Actually, it <laughs> took me a lot. took me a, like, uh, I didn't realize, but a lot of my friends in my program were getting theirs and I wasn't. So I kind of had to, call them and figure out why my bonus wasn't coming in so it actually took a while um but yeah now that i have that it's pretty nice
0: (laughs) (laughs) um all right so that's awesome congratulations on that uh thanks that choice obviously i made that same choice a long time ago when i was 29 when when i graduated medical school as well but you had mentioned something in there that that i want to ask you about you had said working the specialty that i want to do for four years Mm -hmm. only doing it in the air force instead of in the civilian world wasn't that big of a a risk to you or a a change for you yep what's to guarantee that you get the specialty of your choice
1: oh so there's that little uh caveat but um so i don't know a hundred percent too much about the military match um But basically, if you are on scholarship uh, in any of the military branches, you have to enter the military match. Um, And you can try to get into the specialty you want. There is that slight caveat that you won't get into it. Um, Actually, in the Air Force, there aren't enough residency positions for how many people are on scholarship. So they do have this other little thing where they have sponsored residencies where you can go to a civilian residency. um, And they'll pay the residency your salary. Um, but there is also that caveat that you can't get into the specialty you want. I think it's similar into the civilian world where you also like, if you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, you know, there's, it's kind of competitive. Um, but I mean, there's that small risk, but I think cause right now I'm kind of thinking about ER. I'm also thinking about family medicine and those two aren't necessarily what I would say being the most competitive residencies. I'm just trying to do the best I can and hope that it works out for the best. Okay. But I guess there's that small little component of if you don't get into it, they might, uh, I don't want to use the word make you, but that you might have to do a transitional year or you might have to work as just like a, um, I don't remember what it's called, but just do like a general year where you don't actually work in a specialty. Well,
0: you do Um, work in a specialty. So I can, I'm kind of disappointed you don't know all this after probably (laughs) listening to some of my podcasts. But uh, as a, a... if you don't get the specialty you want, you, you'll go and do uh, your internship year, whether it's a transitional year or a general surgery year or an internal medicine year, and right. then you can reapply again and mm-hmm. hope you get your specialty. At that point, they can say, you know what? You're going to be a general medical officer. Um, right. Yep. And if if you're healthy enough, then you're going to be most likely a flight surgeon, and mm-hmm. you get to go do one of the best jobs in the Air Force there is, uh, hands down. Right. By. Yep. Uh, so a lot of people, I, I think, they take this HPSP scholarship and they assume that they're going to get the specialty they want, and when they don't, and they're told they need to go be a flight surgeon for a year or two or three or whatever it is, um, there's a lot of of um, uh, regret for taking the scholarship. There's a lot of um, uh, I can't think of the word, but just a lot of pissed off people, really, is what it comes down huh. to. Okay, um, and really, I think it's it's the understanding to, that you have to be flexible when you're taking this this scholarship that you you might have to do two years as a flight surgeon before you can go back and reapply and get the specialty you want because with the military match, it's all based on points, and you get right. a certain yep. number of points for your. Ple- Preclinical years, you get a certain number of points for your clinical years in medical school, and really, as after you're done applying, uh, when you're when you're applying the first time for the military match, that's really all the points you have. You can have some points for research, you can have some bonus points in there, typically from the the residency director if you, if you've hit it off with him or her. Um, but then you're also applying against flight surgeons that are now coming back and wanting to go back and do whatever specialty you're applying for. So you're competing against those kind of people as well. You're competing against yeah, that's true. former enlisted people that have bonus points because they're former enlisted. So yeah, I, I think everybody, I, I highly recommend the HPSP scholarship to everybody. Uh, it's getting out of medical school debt-free is an amazing feeling. Um, yeah. Having some flexibility with your life and understanding that you may move a place where you don't really want to move or you may be, uh, a flight surgeon for a couple years and, and delay that emergency medicine residency a couple years, that's, that's in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. Um, the debt free part is huge. Um, so, yeah. so I, I congratulate you for making that choice. I think it's a, a great choice, but I want you to be flexible. Um, at, at the end of the day, if, if you don't get emergency medicine, which is competitive, uh, for the military, um, if you don't get it, it's, it's not the end of the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm think- also thinking. You know, I'm actually kind of in between emergency medicine and family medicine right now, and a flight surgeon, as I understand it, is very similar to family medicine. So mm-hmm. I don't see that as being a bad thing. I also really kind of am excited that they're going to put me wherever they need me because um, I, I think this is kind of a good opportunity to travel, even if it's just in the in the United States. But uh, one of the graduates we just had uh, chose family medicine, and he uh, asked for a special forces. Um, designation and so he's going to japan so i think you know like there's a lot of options in the military too yeah i also think that their residency programs are pretty competitive with civilian and so i think some people think that the residency programs in the military are not as good for some reason um i just don't think that they've researched well enough because i think they're really competitive and really good programs so
0: yeah there are some caveats here and there but overall they're pretty good um awesome all right so i want to know during the application process um, what what was probably the the biggest thing that that threw you for a loop or something maybe you didn't expect during the application process?
1: Oh, so I definitely have a good answer for that one. Um, I so like I said, I really wanted to get my application in right away. I mean, I think I uh, my DO one took a little bit longer because I actually wrote a whole new uh, personal statement for that one since it had to be a, I think it was a little bit shorter length than the MD application, um, but. One of my letter writers, which I actually, I think this is a pretty common problem for a lot of pre-meds, uh, one of my letter writers, uh, he actually, his house actually burnt to the ground the summer that he was writing my letter.
0: Uh, I I, don't, I let- hope that's not common for that's, all the letter yeah. writers.
1: Yeah. But, like, I mean, more, more in general, like, people have problems uh, getting their letters back from their people they ask uh, in a good time timely manner. But his, uh, so that was pretty intense, his house was struck by lightning, um, and so I actually had kind of like an internal struggle of okay like I kind of want my letter back but I also don't want to be like nagging because he's trying to figure out his whole life and everything um and I did talk to a lot of the other scribes that I worked with and they had either whether they had a committee because I didn't have a committee letter um a couple people struggled getting their committee letter back in a decent amount of time on things like that so I think that was kind of one of my struggles is trying to ask him nicely if he was working on my letter versus trying not to be a jerk about it because he had a lot of stuff going on uh, but I ended up working out. I mean, I think I turned my application in in June, end of June or early July or something like that. No. Um, so it wasn't a problem. But I was just kind of afraid about asking him back for it, which I think some people are kind of nervous about, it, especially if you don't know your uh, professors that well. Um, trying to be assertive about that kind of thing, but
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely. I've I've talked to some people there their applications are delayed by months because of yeah. delayed letters. And so it, ask for those letters early and often.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. What were some of the best resources that you used uh, along your journey?
1: Um, I think for the most part, since I was a scribe, I kind of used my, mostly my job. Um, because I was waiting a couple of years and taking these prerequisite classes, I got to see a lot of other people going through the application process. Um, so I got a lot of really good advice about, oh, like, for example, like you got to make sure you ask your letter writers really early, especially because in the summer, a lot of these professors are writing letters. So you want to be one of the first people out the gate, especially if you know that they want them to write you a letter. And I hadn't actually seen a couple of these professors in a couple of years. So I went up to campus and talked to them face to face about what I wanted in my letter. Um, so that was kind of one of the things that I looked at. I mean, I caught, I talked to a couple of the doctors I worked with, but Uh, only like a couple of the ones I worked with were like just out of residency, which means their application process was like at least eight years ago. Um, but I talked, I think it was mostly my friends that were in the same process. I didn't really have an academic source because I was out of school. Um, I didn't use the institution at all that I took my prerequisites at, um, because they're such a big school. I wanted to use my small school, but I didn't really use them as much as I probably should have. I used a couple I I think I read a couple of books. I listened to your podcasts um. That's kind of all I really did.
0: Okay. Very cool. Now that you're a medical student, you're you're on the other side, and yep. you can kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel. What What would you say to the the freshman in college or the sophomore in college that's struggling with some of maybe maybe some of those same decisions that you had to let them know that it's worth it to to keep pushing forward.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a really long process. Um, Sitting in these organic chemistry classes in the summer at 8 a.m., I was like, what am I doing with my life? But, I mean, looking back at it all, I think it was always worth it. I mean, the late nights that I spent in the ER, like, questioning, you know, do I actually really want to be a doctor? Like, I talked to other physicians about it a lot. Just looking for advice outside of your own head. Because I think people can uh tear themselves down on the inside and other people can't even recognize it Uh, a couple of my friends here are actually struggling with now they're in meds mid medical medical school and they're like do i actually really want to be a doctor still i think definitely knowing especially early in undergrad if you know for sure that you want to be a doctor just do as the best you can to be able to get there and be happy definitely go shadow a bunch of different physicians Um, i mean it sounds like i'm pretty set on the er thing but it's not totally true um, I'm definitely like looking at different options still and seeing what works out best for me. Um, just trying to get into the mindset of, yeah, it's one thing if you think you want to be a doctor, but to know that you want to be a doctor is a completely different thing. And then being able to show that in your interview, uh, and be confident about it. Cause I think a lot of people are still on the fence, even when they're interviewing, like, Oh, like if I don't get in this year, maybe I'll do something else, but you have to really show that you want to be a doctor. And I think it, that kind of portrays with how you spend your years in undergrad.
0: All right, again, that was Amanda. Uh, great story. Interesting to hear how she went from uh, wanting to do PA stuff and then realizing that they don't really get uh, to do all of the stuff that maybe she wanted to do, finding out what osteopath uh, osteopathic physicians are and do is very interesting, um, having that kind of uh, exposure and that, that aha moment to go, oh, DOs are physicians. Uh, And so something I I preach on here all the time is is MDs and DOs are equal. They are physicians. Unfortunately, we have this dichotomy in our society where, uh, especially among pre-med students, um, there's this thought that you only go to DO schools if your grades aren't good enough for an MD school. But that's, that's just not the case. If you're interested in the DO philosophy, which... I've argued uh, on here before. I I don't know if I really buy the philosophy as being that much different than the MD philosophy, but um, MDs, DOs are equals, and that's okay. All right. If you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today, I would love for you to share this with somebody. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell your classmates. Go tell your roommates. Go tell your pre-med advisors. Let them know about the immense information that you learn every week here at the Medical School Headquarters podcast. And if you want to take a second and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, I will never turn those down. MedicalSchoolHQ.net slash iTunes, you can do that. We have a couple here I want to read off to say thank you. Uh, M A Baller 17 says, extremely helpful podcast. This podcast has been a life changer for me. We have... um. The Itchy Sweater, who says enjoyable, informative, and accurate. I love it, The Itchy Sweater. And we have uh, B. Solette says, The best medical resource on iTunes. I don't know about the best medical resource, but I th- thank you for that. I, I'll take that. Thank you. And one more here. Um, NVF Sassif says, Dr. Ryan and Allison are my heroes. Well, you are my hero, N.V.F. Sessif, for leaving a rating interview. I truly do appreciate it. And if you didn't stick around to the end of last week's episode, I'll talk about it here now. But here at the medical school headquarters, and when I, when I say the medical school headquarters, I'm talking about me. I'm the only one here at the medical school headquarters. So it just sounds so much bigger when I say here at. But I am going to, at the request of many people now, I'm going to add a new podcast dedicated to medical school and medical students, talking about USMLE, talking about residency applications, talking about matching, talking about clinical rotations, talking about surviving your, your non-clinical years, your classroom years, all of that fun stuff. So all of the great information that I've been sharing here about the pre-med world I hope to bring to medical students now and and talk about and talk with medical students and physicians more on the, the medical school side, and not just pre-med side. So with that comes the need to sort of change the name of this podcast because it really can't be the medical school headquarters podcast um, And and be talking about pre-med if I have another podcast that talks about medical school as well. So, I need your thoughts. Email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, and let me know. Here's my thought. My thought is to take the name of this podcast, the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, and just add the pre-med years, or call it the pre-med years at the Medical School Headquarters. Something along those lines. And then when I start the Medical School Podcast, I can call it the Medical School Years, or or mid-student whatever um, let me know your thoughts. Uh, I, I, am keeping them separate so that medical students don't have to listen to MCAT stuff, uh, because, because they're done with that. And, and I, I know you as a pre-med student would like to hear the medical school stuff, but then you can just subscribe to the extra podcast. If you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to subscribe to the new podcast. So they will be two separate podcasts, but I need help. I need your help in trying to figure out what to name this one and the new one. So let me know, Ryan at medical school I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today, and as always, I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters.